If you enjoy our podcast, please consider supporting Glass Tire. All of the money we raise, since we are a nonprofit, goes right back into our coverage of Texas's art and artists. Our coverage is supported thanks to readers and listeners like you. If you would like to contribute, you can do so at glasstire.com forward slash donate. Thanks so much and enjoy today's show. Thanks to this week's podcast sponsor, the Menil Collection in Houston, Texas, which is presenting the iconic Portrait Strand by artist Nestor Topchi on view now through January 21st, 2024. The exhibition at the Menil presents 124 portraits made by Topchi that depict the artist's friends and colleagues. Topchi uses traditional materials to make paintings that resemble Byzantine icons. The artist explains, quote, to paint a mortal in the sea of gold light alone is to propose a saintliness that dwells within all people, quote. On Thursday, October 12th, Topchi will be joined by Timothy Morton, the Rita Shea Guffey Chair in English at Rice University, for an artist talk in conjunction with the exhibition. The program is at 7 p.m. in the museum's main building and is free and open to the public. Find details at manil.org. Org. That's M-E-N-I-L dot org. Hello and welcome to Art Dirt. This is a podcast where we at Glass Tire talk about topical art topics. I am Brandon Zeck and I am sitting here in the Canyon, Texas uh, living room of John Rivette. So John is an artist up here in the Texas Panhandle. Um, For those of you who may not remember your Texas geography, we're maybe about 15 miles south of Amarillo right now. Amarillo being one of the you know, maybe the northernmost large city in the Texas Panhandle. It is the most northern large city in the Panhandle. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm sitting here talking to John today because, uh, well, two things. A, I'm in the Panhandle, and John and I recently went out to Amarillo Ramp, which is an earthwork by Robert Smithson. More about that in a second. Um, but B, John recently wrote an article for us, or maybe another article for us, uh, about Amarillo Ramp. So, um, John, do you just want to kind of introduce yourself? Who are you? Why do you live in this part of Texas? Um, I am John Rivette. I live here because I have tried to escape several times and I just keep coming back. Um, I'm also a tenured professor of art at the university here. I teach painting, drawing, printmaking, um, and I just sort of am an all-around art guy up here in the panhandle holding it down. Last night, Brandon and I attended the Hoodoo Mural Festival in town, which was as artsy as it gets up here, pretty good. Lots of people out talking about art, seeing all the new murals in the town, so it was a pretty good experience. Yeah, and this area of Texas, is it's known for a couple things. I would say maybe, correct me if I'm wrong, but mainly it's known for Cadillac Ranch. Oh, Cadillac Ranch is by far the most known work of art from the Texas Panhandle. Um, I think they did a study two, three years ago. A million people get out of their cars to go see Cadillac Ranch. That's act- like a year? Yeah. That's, that's actually kind of crazy. Yeah, it's a lot of people. I mean, we were there today for 
15 minutes and we probably saw 150 people out there. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's accurate. And for, for any of you who haven't been to Cadillac Ranch for, for a little while or haven't ever been or need a refresher, um, that's the sculpture by the art collective Ant Farm. Um, it's how many Cadillacs, John? 10 Cadillacs so, from 1949 to 1963. So that's 10 Cadillacs buried. Uh, nose down. Nose down yep. uh, in the West Texas dirt or in the panhandle dirt. Um, and of course, when they were buried, they were pristine. They had their fins. They had their tires. They had everything. And in the past... However many years um, they've turned into this tourist attraction that I, I think a lot of people, you mentioned this yesterday, like people don't even necessarily realize it's an artwork at yeah, this point. Yeah, because there's no signage. There's nothing out there. I think technically you're trespassing by going to see it, um, but I think that's part of the allure of what it is. It was done intentionally. Basically, when they did it, they wanted people to just look out the side of their window and see these cars in the ground and wonder what it was. It's since then become much more of an icon. Um, and with a lot more spray paint on it, as we saw today. Yeah, they even like have a little truck set up like yeah. selling spray paint and selling tchotchkes, which, yeah. I mean, if you know me, I, I can't turn down a tchotchke. That's some pretty cool stuff there. Yeah. yeah. Um, but the kind of weird, awesome thing, and you know, we're, we're not going to spend too long on uh, Cadillac Ranch, but the weird, awesome thing is these, so many people have spray painted these cars over the past couple years, or not couple years, but tens of years, yeah. that there's just gobs of paint that are trying to fall off. Like the weight of multiple thin layers, hundreds yeah. of thin, maybe thousands of thin layers of spray paint is immense. And it gives the cars these this kind of amazing look and texture. Like they're almost like they're pregnant, like they're yeah. paint sloughing off the roof. I mean, I would say... Average, there's three to six inches of paint on the car, on the roof of the car. It's even yeah. more than that. It's oh, yeah. it's it's an, a ridiculous amount of spray paint, and like it will shed the roof paint, and then it'll fall off, and then within six more months, there's more paint on it to the level where it's that thickness again. Yeah, one of the one of the cars that I saw, I think one of the ones on the very end, um, it's like someone had taken a knife and carved a chunk of it like carved out a chunk of spray paint and they didn't get to any car part. No. It was just pure spray paint. And it's yeah. kind of, I mean, it looks like if you took a cross section of the earth, yeah. you know, or those uh, cross sections. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. the cross sections that were in your science yeah. textbook exactly. in eighth grade. Yeah. It's quite an experiment of spray paint. I mean, there's definitely some science there that I've, I've, I've paid attention to for a couple of years. It's a, it's a fascinating thing. I, I, I wish the cars were probably in a little bit better shape, but it is what it is. And it's sort of, there's what? no in between. No, which there is, the is thing. no in between there. Yeah, it's an interesting thing. And it, I mean, the bottom line, people really enjoy it. You see people happy out there. I mean, there were people out there spray painting and chatting and kids climbing all over the cars. So it's definitely a big kind of social thing to do there. Um, other things that are in this area, again, we're mainly going to be talking about Amarillo Ramp. We're going to get to that in a second. Uh, but there's the Amarillo Museum of Art, yep. um, which has a, a nice program and just took down their carpet walls and put yeah, installed drywall and drywall. It, it's been so good. I was on the board for four years and we tried to get drywall put up for years and they finally just got it all done. That's a lot to Alex Gregory's persistence, the curator, um, but it looks spectacular. The next show they're putting up is the Amarillo 600 biennial and that opens next weekend. So mm -hmm. we saw them kind of in process of installing that today. Yeah. And that'll be the weekend that this podcast drops. So if you're passing through the panhandle, go see that. Yeah. I was, I was very impressed. I hadn't seen the new galleries yet with the drywall. I mean, yeah. it looks 
it looks really smart. Yeah. yeah. Well, I went in there. They had the Terry Allen show up, and I went in and, and was walking around because they actually did the upstairs gallery first. And I was like, something's different. I can't. <laughs> oh my god, the walls are white. What's going on? Well, they're light blue, but they're really nice, and it's really opened up the space of the museum. It, it really has leveled up. Yeah. Um, other things that are up here. Uh, there's the Panhandle Plains Historical Museum, which yes. is in Canyon. Yes. Um, the crown jewel of the Texas Panhandle is one of the most interesting museums you could go to. Uh, Brandon, I really like your analogy today. It's the Metropolitan Museum of not necessarily art, but sort of like uh-huh. if you took the Natural History Museum and the Metropolitan and shoved them together and then made it all about Texas. Yeah. It's exactly what it would be. And it's a fascinating place to visit. Yeah. it's yeah. A, I feel like that has to be said with a qualifying statement. It's Texas's Met because it has things like period rooms, yeah. but it's Texas's version of period rooms. So yeah. it's like there's an oil derrick in the museum or there's all the all, there's all this Texana yeah. um, that's a part of it that like. If it were the, it's just, it's this weird, you kind of have to be there to actually it's see a it. strange place. And then there's dinosaur bones and there's a room full of guns. And then actually they have a show up of Gisela Loeffler, who is a Taos artist, which is a very strange show, but it's awesome and interesting. So they do interesting art things as well as history and culture. Yeah. Well, one of the things that it, it comes up every time when I'm up here and maybe it's because I'm so far away and in Houston, mm-hmm. but I'm always just kind of like, Oh, y'all are like super close to New Mexico because I never, I mean, of course, this is my like Gulf Coast mentality, but I never think of Texas as being close to New Mexico. It's obviously our state neighbor, but all y'all in the panhandle, y'all are so close to everywhere that it's like, oh, I'm going to New Mexico for the weekend. And I think it creates this really interesting Texas, New Mexico culture that we don't see elsewhere in the state not even really in like proper west texas like odessa or marfa or like anywhere we don't see that as much there as we do in the panhandle yeah new mexico has a major influence on us i mean it has a lot to do with the history especially when the city was being built here people were getting timber and the construction people came out of las vegas new mexico at the time which was a very big city um we sometimes call the city the gateway to the southwest because it kind of does start here um, and it's something we went to. I mean, I've been going to Santa Fe and Taos since I was a little kid because they were closer than anywhere else. I mean, again, Texas close, four hours away versus the five to six it is to Dallas and the nine hours it is to Houston. Um, yeah, no, I, I think that's I, well. And y'all are so I mean, because of all of that, y'all are so secure. Included up That's here a good way also. To say it. We're just kind of out here on our own. I, we're sat, sitting out here, let's say, floating in a sea of grass, just doing our own thing. We're way up here on the Yano Estacado. Our elevation's 3,500 feet, so it's a lot higher than everywhere else in Texas. I didn't realize that, yeah. actually. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. It's called the High Plains for a reason. Yeah. 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 It's, it's super, super. Whenever I come out here, I just realize and realize again and am reminded that it's a super weird and unique culture. And I mean, weird in such a good way. I'll take that as a compliment. We're yeah. definitely weird up here. Yeah. But we do our own <laughs> way. I mean, again, we're isolated. We're definitely Texas at points, but there is yeah. definitely hints of New Mexico here. We even get some influence of Kansas and Colorado. Uh, we, as I was telling you, I think there's six state capitals within the same, like a 10 hour radius of Amarillo. So we're, you know, kind of equidistant from a lot of places. Uh, Well, and I think that blends into a conversation about Amarillo ramp, because I think, I think the fact that Amarillo ramp exists in Amarillo, I mean, of course the title comes after where it's from. So if it were Abilene ramp, it would have been Abilene ramp, but I think there's something about it existing in Amarillo that goes beyond its patronage or kind of any of that. And that it's about, 
it's about the space. And I mean, that's the heart of an earthwork, right? Like an earthwork is a response to a space, to a specific point in time, often even. Um, But so tell us for any of our listeners who may not be familiar about Amarillo Ramp or may not have read any of your essays on Glass Tire, tell us about Amarillo Ramp. Well, Amarillo Ramp was built by Robert Smithson or designed by Robert Smithson in 1973. So we're actually out there right around the 50th anniversary of it today. Um, He came here in 1973 in July. Uh, He came down from Taos where he was hanging out with Larry Bell. Um, He was actually up in Colorado looking at uh, reclamation sites for coal mines and things like that and then heard about a art-friendly Texas rancher and came down and saw it. And we do have the big space here. You know, it's it's kind of hallmark to that. I think before I even knew what who Robert Smithson was or who what the Emerald Ramp really was about, I mean, I, I did appreciate how it forced me to change perspective and see things differently and to see the space that I live in a little bit differently. And so I think that's something that's definitely responsive. And I do think, you know, being out in the landscape is effective because it's all about scale. You know, an Emerald Ramp isn't as large as Spiral Jetty, which is Robert Smithson's other famous work. Mm-hmm. But once you go down and engage with it, it becomes much larger. And even seeing it from the ridge where you come over, uh, where you approach it from, it's, it's just a different kind of impact, you know, and it does allow you to see space in a different way. Like I'm always pointing things out when we go out and that's eight miles away and that's five miles away. Cause you can see really far here. Yeah. Um, and I think that's something unique. And again, Robert Smithson, who was from New Jersey, you know, you can see that they do have the ocean, but it is still very urban. So not being able to see hundreds of, not hundreds of miles, tens of miles from a, a standpoint is a unique. And so again, to put this in context, you mentioned it was uh, constructed in 1973, but it was constructed in 1973 uh, or Smithson came out to Amarillo, essentially surveyed sites for about 10 days. And then as he was surveying his layout for Amarillo Ramp, he died in a plane crash at the site. Yes, he was surveying and the plane stalled is what the records say and crashed. So he did pass away before the work was finished, but it was completely staked out. And there are some photographs of what it looked like before he had finished. So essentially he had put parallel rows of stakes in the shape of Amarillo Ramp. Um, and after he passed away, his widow, Nancy Holt, who was an artist herself, uh, came out with Richard Serra, obviously a very famous artist, and Tony Shafrazi, who is better known as a gallerist now, but he was making his um, oats as an artist those days. Um, and they came out in August and finished in about a month. Tell us a little bit about your first interaction with Amarillo Ramp. So you you kind of chronicled that in an article that we published, and I think uh, Artnet News republished Did it from us. That, one? that was the I one, think, yeah. Yeah, back in 2014. So this was right around the 40th anniversary, um, and you've kind of been, uh, disclosure here, you're not associated with the Holt Smithson Foundation, or you're not an employee or anything like that, but you're the person who has now at this point taken me out to Amarillo Ramp twice, and I know you have a really personal connection with it just as a person and as an artist. I do. I think it's, uh, you know, I, I don't know if I use the word genesis, but it's really where I kind of realized I was an artist and was going to be an artist. I mean, I've always been making art and, but I was like into comic books and graphic design and comic books of their own art. And I respect those. Um, but I was thinking about art differently. And I remember clearly, cause I was working for the rancher um, and his, the ranch manager said, Hey, you, you're an art. You should come see this thing. And I got in this car and it was a guy from New York city and, and the ranch manager, and they were talking about minimalism and all this kind of conceptual work. And I didn't, 
didn't even know what that was at the time. I would think I was 23, 24 around there. Yeah. Um, and it just was like, what are these guys talking about? This is really silly, you know, and wasn't really paying attention much and thought it was kind of pretentious. And I remember very clearly driving as you come up because it kind of just appears out of nowhere. That's yeah. how the road takes you out there. And it's intentional. Um, I saw it and was like, what, what is this? Like, I was almost mad. Like, this is a joke, right? How, how is this art? I didn't understand what this was. It really was confusing to me. Um, and I, I mean, I would even say I was a little pissed off. Like, this is what, this is not, you know, I just couldn't understand what it was about. And so whatever, I'm out there, I'm going to enjoy it. Go walk down and check it out. It was a hippie at the time. So I like nature. It was fun. Um, and so I was walking down with my friend who was the ranch manager and he stopped and was like, this is where my friend died. And he points to this rock and he, his friend was the Richard Curtin, who was the photographer in the plane that went down with Smithson. And so that gave me a little bit of a pause, like, uh, it's, well, it's not a joke if somebody died doing this and it's still here and we're still out seeing it and people are coming from New York city to see it. So yeah. it really forced me to think about it a little differently. And so I kind of went out and wandered around on the sculpture and walked up it. And as you walk up, it kind of changes the horizon line as you walk around the space. So I, that really started to engage me. And I almost like, I got to the end of the ramp and was like, huh, if this is art, I, I, then I don't really know what art is. And if I'm going to be an artist, I should probably learn what art is. And so I began my academic journey. I went to art school or the local version of art school here um, and just kind of investigated. But I sort of have reverse engineered my way through art history from Robert Smithson, which is a very unique way to approach the art, the art, the art world. Um, and it's, you know, for me, again, I've been coming out there for a long time. I'm almost 50 years old now. So it's been a going back and forth, but it's been sort of a gauge for me. Like I'm able to go see how I've progressed as an artist to think about things differently. And the ramp is there and how the landscape has changed. Even today we got a unique experience because it started raining while we're out there. And I think I wrote in the article, you're like, you can't go out there when it rains because those roads get impassable. And I was there with another person who owns ranch property. And we were both like, Oh, we got to go. Cause if it starts yeah. raining and it like opened up, it started pouring on us and it was beautiful. And I was like, look how good it looks. It's time to go. We got to go right now. Yeah. Um, but that's, that's it. Every time I go out there, it's a different experience. And I have this intimate relationship with it and it allows me to go sort of back to ground zero where I was as an artist. Yeah, no, that, that was really interesting to be out there when it rained because obviously like I don't have as deep of a connection with it as you. I haven't seen it nearly as many yeah. times, but uh, the, I remember the time that I came out before, maybe like five or six years ago, it was just a very pleasant day. It's always very windy out there. You know, it's um, the, the, just to kind of, again, give our listeners context, probably most of them haven't been out to Amarillo Ramp. So the the drive out there is a thing into itself. This isn't something that you can just readily visit. No, you can't find it. Don't try. It's on a Google map. You can try and find it, but it's on a private cattle ranch. And if the cowboys find you out there, they're not going to be happy with you. Um, and so I have permission to be out there by the owners of Amarillo Ramp. Um, the, the people who own the ranch now are aware that this happens. Now the cowboys may not know exactly what it is, but they know that if there's some weird guy in a car out here, he, he knows what he's doing. 
Um, and so that's kind of the unique thing I do while I'm not associated with Holt Smithson foundation, I do receive the emails. So if you contact them about a tour, they do email me and I mean, we're friendly with each other and we talk. So, yeah. I mean, it's not like I'm just a weirdo. I am a weirdo <laughs> out here doing it, but it's, it's sort of, you know, yeah, totally. And that disclosure yeah. wasn't meant to divorce you from yeah. or saying anything yeah. unsanctioned is yeah. happening yeah. here. No, no. I mean, and I can't do it all the time. I'm the only person doing the tours, the person who was actually employed by the owners of it. Um, he changed jobs, so he's moved away to Colorado. And so now I'm the sort of de facto yeah. tour guide. Um, well, and that's one of the things that strikes me also. So like, again, for context, you like end up going off the main road, you go through multiple gates, one of which you have to have like a passcode to get through. Mm-hmm. And then once you're out, it is pure untouched ranch land. Like there are, yeah, yeah it's Texas ranch land. Like there are tire track paths through it but you know they fork and you need to know where to go and I remember the first time going out there I was just like oh my god like how wh- where are we going you know I, I, I don't think there's really that much cell service out there it's like you could get stuck out there like if anyone tried to go out there that didn't know they would a be in trouble but b I was also struck with just how it, it's almost it's almost this weird sense of like this knowledge that you have to have yeah. not just like you obviously shouldn't go by yourself, so you have to have knowledge to get out there. But it's like, if you disappeared tomorrow, I'm like, people wouldn't be able to see Amarillo Ramp for a while until someone reconfigured that route and learned it. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's probably five people who know how to get out there in town. Uh, I mean, yeah. and know where it is and know what it is. I mean, my friend Matt Williams knows how to get out there, too. Um, but it's sort of this thing... We're trying to figure out a better way to work out the tours or a better system. And again, again, I do this completely free. I don't get paid for it. Um, and it takes three hours. You know, I mean, the drive out there, it's only 15 miles away from town, but it's 30 minutes of driving through dirt road and winding around. And even though I know we're like a mile away from it, it's two miles of dirt road to get there. Yeah. Um, and so, and I, I was telling Brandon, I think, you know, I've thrown a CV joint on my car. I had to get a new muffler replaced. I don't know if that's exactly the fault of Ramble Ramp, but it's pretty it's rough road out there. Yeah, I would say yeah. there's something to it. So I do this because I love it, and I think it's important. I think the piece needs to be seen. Um, I just can't take people there all the time. I have a lot of people like, oh, I need to go on Tuesday morning. I'm like, well, I teach class on Tuesday morning, so you can't. So, I mean, and sometimes I don't want to get off work and drive out to Emerald Ramp. I mean, I would if I could, but I just, some yeah. days it's not available. So, again, we'll we'll include a picture or a picture or a couple of Amarillo Ramp in the article with this podcast. And we'll also like link to your articles that you wrote that have plenty of other photos. But if someone hasn't seen Amarillo Ramp before, how would you describe it? I, I have to admit, visual descriptions of artwork are the worst part of an art podcast. But for this, for this, it's not like we're describing a painting. It's like this thing that you interact with. So I feel like it's important for people to kind of know what it's like on the surface of the earth. Well, it's a, it's a, I mean, essentially it's a semicircular pile of dirt, but that's a really unglorified way to talk about it. I mean, it's slopes, you know, so it's 150 feet in diameter. It rises from zero feet to 15 feet. And so it's a mound that kind of, it looks like a ramp in a circle, but it also reminds me a lot like of the giant serpent mounds in Ohio. I mean, there Smithson was very aware of Neolithic work and that was definitely one of his major influences. So it seems a little bit more dimensional, say, than what the spiral jetty looks like. Mm-hmm. Spiral jetty is very flat. This one has some dimension to it. Yeah. Also, if you've seen the dramatic pictures or when it was first built, it's really rigid and rocky and it's a vault. It's eroded a lot. And now we 
I spent about six years taking students out to cut trees and cactus off of it, but the trees have come back. Um, yeah. And it's the lower half is not invisible, but it's pretty hard to read, and I have to point it out to where it is. So it's it's quiet, I think is a good way to describe it. You yeah. go out there, you expect this grand thing, and it's this sloping pile of dirt, rocks, earth, mound, space that is unique you know it doesn't look like it's natural so you even if you were wandering around and you saw it you would wonder what this was it's different there is an earthen dam that used to hold the lake in next to it and it resembles that a little bit just because of the erosion um but it's an intentional work and when you see it it, it does say this is not supposed to be here or this is something different yeah so that i feel like that's an important point also that like like spiral jetty it used to be submerged Um, partially submerged yeah yeah Yeah. so it rose it was designed to rise out of the water um and again we think so the water came back they they built it in 73 by the end of the year the water had been put back or filled back in it's just through natural flow lake um so from rain and stuff like this but we think around 80 81 the dam broke that held all the water in and it's just drained since then so it's been without water for the majority of its existence This week's podcast is sponsored in part by the Menil Collection in Houston, Texas, which is presenting the iconic Portrait Strand by artist Nestor Topchi, which is on view at the Menil through January 21st, 2024. The exhibition presents 124 portraits made by Topchi that depict the artist's friends and colleagues. Topchi uses traditional materials to make the paintings which resemble Byzantine icons. The artist explains about why he makes what he does, quote, To paint a mortal in the sea of gold light alone is to propose a saintliness that dwells within all people, quote. On Thursday, October 12th, Topchi will be joined by Timothy Morton, the Rita Shea Guffey Chair in English at Rice University, for an artist talk in conjunction with the exhibition. The program is at 7 p.m. in the museum's main building, and it's free and open to the public. You can find details about Topchi's show, about this artist talk, and about everything else the Manil has coming up this fall and this spring at manil.org. That's M-E-N-I-L dot org. Like, if you see those early photos, even without the water, it's, like, completely barren around it and craggy. Mm -hmm. And it it has a completely, it has, I mean, it has a completely different life now. Like, one of the the things about Smithson is his idea of entropy. Do you want to talk a little bit about that and, like, how it relates to the ramp? He just thinks about entropy as sort of a system. It's something that, you know, everything's going to eventually approach equilibrium. That's the, that's the intent. So if something's very hot, it's going to try to go to a neutral temperature. Something's cold, it's going to try and warm up. Um, and so entropy also is a, can be seen as what's called fluvial entropy, which is erosion. So, you know, water is going to erode away things that are high and they're going to go down to a level plane. And so Smithson was thinking about that idea as this thing that kind of counteract entropy or a be a marker of entropy maybe so when he builds it it looks a certain way and in 50 years it looks a different way and in 100 years it's going to look a different way um i did have a physicist come out one year and he was like he corrected me on my use of entropy so i'm i'm not a physicist i'm an art teacher so um yeah so but he really was 
uh, cool about it because he said entropy is a system and entropy is something that's always going to happen. So what's cool about this piece is, yes, there is entropy. It's eroding, but I don't think it needs to erode because you, John, are coming out putting in energy into the system by telling people about it, making people aware of it. And, you know, if for some reason it ever decided to be reconstructed, you'd just be resetting entropy again. And so he liked it as this sort of perpetual motion idea, like this, this thing that's going to gain traction over time. I mean, I think that's probably what Smithson was thinking about. It doesn't have to be a completely yeah. subtractive yeah. act. Yeah. I mean, it's also debatable. Should it be restored? Should it not be restored? I mean, I'm of the school of thought that I like it as it is. Um, I did have a conversation with Nancy Holt where she said, if someone offered you money to restore it, do it. Um, but I think that's also differing from what Holt Smithson Foundation thinks that they're of the school of thought it should be left as is. I'm, I'm, I at least think it should be landscaped a little bit. Maybe we should cut those trees off of it and clear out the bottom just a little bit more. But yeah. other than that, I like it. I actually went to Oaxaca um, a couple months ago and I went up to Monte Elban, which is a, a pre-Columbian site. And they've done a really good job of landscaping it and cleaning up, but they also allow some of the erosion on the pyramids. So there's like an erosion mm. with trees growing out of it. And I just found that very beautiful. So I like that sort of middle ground, I guess, of entropy. Yeah. I guess is which is entropy is, but um it's it's a fascinating thing and then i think for me amarillo ramp has just become this sort of counterpoint to everything i do it may seem like i'm obsessed with it but it's not it's just the thing i've been around my whole life and so i'm just lucky enough to have this thing that i'm able to have a conversation with on different points of my life yeah it's like a the the, the way i have always seen it with you and the way that you talk about it it's it's your touchstone, but in the sense of like, instead of spending an afternoon going to the MFAH, like yeah. you might, if you were in Houston, instead you, well, I don't know how many times you yourself without anyone else go out to Amarillo ramp. I've, I went out every last weekend in 2021 and took okay. pictures of it. Yeah. That's yeah. what the colors of that mural are about. I mean, that's, it's almost, it's kind of like a meditative act. It's kind of you being able to reflect on like, your own practice since it was so formative and what you're uh, in, in, I mean, helping you in being your entree into the world of art, yeah. essentially. Exactly. I've gotten a lot of opportunity. I met, um, I mean, the best part is the people I take out there. I get to take you. I've met you because I went out there. I mean, there's lots of people I've met because of that people from all over the globe. I was able to do a residency in London because of interactions with that. Um, and so it's, it's a very good thing for me because again, not a lot of contemporary art people in Amarillo, Texas, yeah. and not a lot of people who are knowledgeable of it. So for me, it's I get to spend an hour or two hours with somebody I can talk about art with and talk about things going on and share like-minded thoughts with. Um, and so it's a little bit of me staying in contact with the world outside of Amarillo. Yeah. Um, but on a counterpoint to that, it's also connected me with the rural parts of the country. I'm My parents are from the East Coast. I grew up in Austin. Um, and so I don't have that west texas connection I, you know my parents didn't grow up on a ranch but being part of that i've met real cowboys i've seen how ranches work i've become more familiar with the ag kind of emphasis of our region and so it's actually connected me to both here and away from here at the same time yeah that's really interesting well and i i feel like the first time we met and you started talking about all of the various types of people that you take out to see it i i don't think i realized I mean, how many people come through for this? Like, it's almost, it's not like there's a person coming through every day to come out and see it, but it's, 
I, I mean, it's maybe a, a lesser widely known destination than somewhere like Marfa, yeah. say. But, you know, if you're in Marfa, you see people who are from Italy and from New York and from Belgium. And, like, it's it's a cross-section and a destination. And it seems like from the types of people that you take out there uh, to Amarillo Ramp that it's it's kind of the same deal in a way. It is. It's very unique. I mean, we don't get as many visitors. I think I, I've i done probably 10 or 15 tours this year since I've taken over as the guide. Yeah. Um, and it it's never going to be a Cadillac Ranch. It's just not that thing, you know? And I think we had this conversation earlier about how I grew up around these two monumental works of art, and one is the most viewed sculpture arguably in the United States that so many, I mean, if a million people got out of their cars, I think 80,000 people a day drive through Amarillo. So if half of them look out their window and see it, that's a massively seen thing. And now there are t-shirts and stickers and all this stuff. And, there's never going to be an Amaro Ramp t-shirt, you know, I, I don't, I don't, I don't <laughs> that actually is a great merch idea. Yeah, no, yeah. I would get in a lot of trouble if I did that. And so I might get an Amaro Ramp tattoo at some point, but it, there's a part of me that I, I like it. I like the idea, but I like the counterpoint between these. I'm a, as an artist, do I want to make the quiet meditative piece or I want to make the big showboat piece that builds itself in a, to the, an icon of our country, you know? And yeah. I think Amaro Ramp is also an icon. I think it's just a quieter, more thoughtful type of work. Um, and at the end of the day, I'm probably going to lean more towards Amarillo Ramp than Cadillac Ranch, though I, I love both of them. Yeah. Um, obviously, I like Cadillac Ranch or Amarillo <laughs> Ramp a little bit more. But, I, you know, it's interesting because both sculptures, Amarillo Ramp is 50 this year and Cadillac Ranch is 50 next year. Um, and so it's nice to see those kind of two counterpoints work together and how they've affected our community. You know, and at some point, I, I would hope that Amarillo Ramp would get uh, some go to an institution that can manage it a little bit better and the tours are more refined and I don't want to have to do them all the time. Um, it, I like it. I feel like it's my privilege to be able to do this stuff, but I also wouldn't mind if it was handed off at some point too. Yeah. Well, and that's, that is a really interesting thing about Amarillo ramp versus, I mean, some of Smithson and Nancy Holtz and Michael Heitzer's mm-hmm. other earthworks. It's like, a lot of those are just open 24-7 to the public to go view. Like Spiral Jetty is open if you just want to go. You don't necessarily have to contact anyone. You don't have to get a tour. You can go visit Spiral Jetty, which I think is probably one of the reasons that Spiral Jetty is in the art history textbooks, right? Like Spiral Jetty is representative to many, many people as this is what earthworks are and it's like if they know earthworks they know that and they probably the knowledge probably more or less kind of stops there yeah i think it's i'm not again i'm i somebody can correct me if this fact is wrong but i think the spiral jetty image the very famous one is like the second most used image in all our history books because it's about um the it's that icon of what land art was and i think land art has changed and evolved over time as well but when land art hit the scene it was these macho guys going out digging in the dirt making stuff um, and so I think that's important to the piece, but Amarillo Ramp is a little different than that. I don't think it's as grand, and I think that's intentional yeah. to the piece. Um, I, you know, if you look at the succession of Smithson work from Spiral Jetty to Amarillo Ramp, there's a piece in between called Broken Circle Spiral Hill, which is in a quarry in Emmon Holland, um, and it's evolved a lot too. But you see the broken circle, and then the elevation change in those pieces. Sometimes they're called two pieces, sometimes it's called a single piece, um, but they definitely react together. Um, but you see he took those two ideas and fused them together in Amarillo Ramp. So it's this sort of nice 
statement, you know, and unfortunately it was his final statement and we don't know what he would have done next or where he would have gone or what it would have looked like. But it really is to me a little bit more of a mature idea of land art and represents maybe the direction that land art starts to go. Um, It is invasive, but it's less invasive than some of the other pieces. You know, he's not digging a thousand foot trench into the ground or building a mile and a half long city out of concrete. Uh Um, And I think that that is intentional. I don't know how intentional it was. You know, I've never met Robert Smithson, obviously. Um, But it, it just seems more in line with the ideas that make land art really great. It's a relocation of the site to a different site. Like the materials are drawn right there from just like a couple hundred feet away. Like everything is local. Yeah. And there's no, I mean, I was going to say there's no destruction. Granted, you could argue that digging up, yeah. digging up dirt from one area and bringing it in rocks to another area is just, but it's more of a, I don't know. It's a relocation. It's not a, yeah. it's not a blasting of a, of a channel. Yeah. It was a it's, bulldozer. Yeah. That dug up. I mean, yeah. there's substantially less earth move to create the dam that held the lake in. So, yeah. you know, Smithson wasn't seated an environmentalist. So I don't think he was, you know, looking at it from those standpoint, he was obviously aware of it because 73, I think is the high point of when environmental laws started happening. All these things were around. So definitely part of the conversation. Um, but I think he's using the land to give you a place to review the land and see it from a different point and think about it in a different way. Yeah. Well, and to that point, um, you read, I, I just want to really quickly read one, uh, just a short little passage from one uh, from the article that you wrote for us a week or two ago, uh, because it captured my experience of visiting the ramp for the first time. So uh, every person I take there is not just impacted by the earthwork itself, but by the entire experience. The sculpture itself appears abruptly after a long drive through the brush populated by gas wells, cattle, and the occasional cowboy. For those not from Texas, it is a journey into the stereotyped diversions of the state and the contradictions that it can present. Amarillo Ramp is a time stamp for these visitors. Its entropy becomes personal because they can only move forward from their experience of their visit. Um, And that, that experience of first seeing the ramp come out of the landscape you know i feel like whenever you visit something that's like an art destination you even if you're not familiar with it or you haven't been you know dying to visit it for 15 years you still have a built-up of idea uh in your mind of what it's going to be and i remember the first time you took me out there like we you know we're going through so much brush and the the brush is high and hitting the car and you're just kind of like you can't see anything more than what's in front of you anyway so i remember we pull up into the corner and you're like there it is and i had to like scan the landscape of where you were gesturing to be like wait where because it blends into the landscape right because it's made of what it's sitting on Mm -hmm. um and i was just kind of like oh wait uh, oh there it is and it goes back to what you were saying earlier also that when you or at least the the way that uh, you visit it now the the path it takes you to like this essentially like a scenic overlook of where the ramp is and it's just kind of like and it it, it does look small yeah. like it looks small and then you once you finally walk down to it and start walking on it you're like oh this is 15 feet tall yeah. and i'm standing 15 feet off the ground on the top of this big mound of earth yeah. earth this is a lot of earth yeah yeah it is and you look up even if when you're down at what the, what we call the tail the end of it you look up at the thing and it's a mountain like a hill above you and it's it's definitely 
it's a presence, you know, and it's, it can be small. It can be big. I mean, my favorite experiences are when the people who spend a lot of time and money to get out there and they get out and see it and they're kind of like, is, is this it? But then they start <laughs> to enjoy it. And yeah. again, like you say, the, it's not just the piece, it's the journey. You, you have to sit in a car with me and I will tell you crazy stories because that's just what I do. Um, or talk about all kinds of things, but it is that experience. It is that then we go into town or we, sh- so most people go do what the, I call the art tour, which you got to pretty big chunk of today um and so we see some of the other works art around town but it is that whole thing and it it allows people to pause i've had some people stay out there for a very long time but i would say the average time is probably about 30 minutes hour tops but most people and again today we had to leave quickly because it was about to rain on us Um, but i've also had people we go hike around we'll hike around and there's really cool slick rock and some geological formations nearby that are interesting um, and to me, it is about the history of the landscape. You know, I, I just read a book on the Comanche and it just to think about what it was when they were here and when they were wandering around and, you know, they would be in those valleys because they were feeding into the river and this is where they were. Um, yeah. and this was their kind of territory. And so to think about that history of that space, even before Emerald Ramp is just as fascinating to me. And I think that Emerald Ramp allows me to have that conversation with a context, a point in time. Yeah. Is there anything that I haven't asked you or anything that you think it's important for people to know or any uh, fun stories that you'd like <laughs> There's to tell? There's a lot of fun stories. That you can tell on Mike? Uh, some of them, no. <laughs> um, but some of them, yes. Uh, you know, it's just been an, I, and how I've changed as an artist through the whole time because I was very gung-ho about it when I first learned about it. I was very excited I mean, I, I took that idea and ran with it. And everybody who's ever met me, I will talk about it eventually. Um, and it's just, it's built into me, you know? And I think yeah. what's important about this is it, it, and I think the point of this article is what I was trying to discuss is that it, it's, a, it's influence is important because it allows you to go forward. And it, it doesn't have to be your bag. It doesn't have to be anything. It's just this point where you can move forward from it. I mean... I went from that being this kind of stoner kid in the middle of nowhere doing nothing to being an art professor and being an artist and showing all over the world and having residencies and going places. But it was this long journey that I always could go back and see it and consider how I'm doing things and kind of reset going out there. That's how I call it when I haven't been out in a while. It's like a reset. Okay, I'm better yeah. now. I can go see stuff. Um, but I also do lots of stuff that weren't related to it. You know, I started a punk rock club in a gallery right after it and we weren't making hyper conceptual work at the time, but it did influence me and make me take art more seriously. Well, we are going to link the, uh, two essays that you wrote approximately 10 years apart in this post. Uh, you listeners should definitely go read those if you haven't or give them a reread. I was really happy to give them a reread. Um, and uh, I think that is it for this week. Yeah. Well, it was great to have you up here, Brandon. It was really a lot of fun have you around all weekend, show you all the sites again for the second time. But it was good. I love seeing the sites. Yeah. Uh, if you ever want to visit Amarillo Ramp, I highly recommend it. Uh, I also highly recommend having to spend an hour and a half in a car with John. It is really fun and worth it. Uh, so uh, get in touch through the Holt Smithson Foundation. If you ever want to see Amarillo Ramp, plan ahead. Um, also, just a, a little teaser. If you ask him while you're up here, John may either tell you about or show you uh, the original standard station oh, that yeah, Ed Ruscha yeah, used yeah. for his uh, standard station painting. Yeah. That building isn't a standard station, but it does still exist. And it's, 
you know, I mean, it's a chunk of art history. Yeah, it's kind of funny because uh, my art historian colleague, Amy Von Lintel, interviewed him and asked him what it was special at Amarillo. He's like, it wasn't. It was just the thing that I saw and it ran with that idea and it became a bigger idea. So maybe that's what Amarillo does. It just allows you to extrapolate things out. It gives you space. There you go. Space for Genesis. That's right. With that, uh, check out our event listings. If you want to go see some stuff across Texas, we'll be back in two weeks and go see some art. This podcast was recorded by Glass Tire and edited by William Saradet. Copyright Glass Tire 2023.